There are certain topics, you know, that if you ask 10 different people, you get 11 different opinions. And one of those topics that can sometimes happen in the church community is the topic of uh, the demonic world. You know, you got opinions all over the place there. They, they range usually anywhere from fear to fascination. Two common errors of, of thinking when it, when it comes to this subject is to just disbelieve altogether, just to think that the whole demonic world is just a whole bunch of hocus pocus. The other error in thinking is just to see a demon behind every bush, every corner, you know, and there's just Satan everywhere. Um, you, know, you go from one extreme to the others. And I have good friends, friends who I admire deeply, love their, their faith, and, and they are a great encouragement to me. But they're, they're that way sometimes, where they, anything bad happens, and it's the devil, and it's a demon, and it's something going on. And we've had honest, frank discussions, and I've just asked the question lovingly, how do you know that it's a demon and not just the product of living in a sin-cursed, fallen world? And so, and we have discussions like this. And the truth is that, that we see in Scripture that we are continually engaged in spiritual warfare, that, that our life is continually engaged in spiritual warfare. I love the fact that the ladies are going through this armor of God study right now, and one of the things in that study that Priscilla Shire does such a great job of pointing out is that as you go through Ephesians 6 and you see the armor of God, a lot of times people stop with just like six pieces of armor that they sometimes end with the helmet. But the Bible doesn't do that. Right after it gives you these six pieces, then it says, and pray. You put on all this armor so that you can get down on your knees and pray and continue to pray. That the greatest piece of armor is the seventh piece of prayer. And so, so this, is, this is what it talks about. In fact, we, we are told that we are to focus our attention not on the forces of darkness, but on Christ. That we are to keep our eyes on him. We're told to resist the devil by drawing near to God. That when we draw our hearts and our minds near to God, then the devil flees from us. See, far too many people, they pay attention to the wrong power. And so this morning, as we continue our series of face-to-face -face and just what happens when Jesus interacts with different individuals, this morning, we're going to look when, when, when Jesus meets this demoniac. And the temptation in this story is to focus the attention on all the demons, but then there's a greater power who shows up, and his name is Jesus. And so there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of questions that could be asked related to this passage. We're not going to cover them all this morning, but we are going to focus on the one true power, the power that Jesus brings. So go ahead, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Mark 5, 1 through 20. And you need to know that during the days of Jesus, the world was obsessed with the spirit world. Demonism, occultism, dark magic, idol worship, demon worship, all of that was rampant. And so Jesus, he shows up on this coastal town, and this story encourages us today to focus on the one who has the real power. Let's check it out together. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. It reads, They came to the other side of the sea, 
to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice and said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. All right, context is always very important, right? And so in this scene, I mean, it appears like a scene straight out of a horror movie, if, if you think about it. Those of you who are visual learners, this is one of those passages in the Bible that you're thankful that you just read about it, that there's not a movie here. I mean, you've got to think of this for a second, okay? You go back, Mark chapter 4. And you see the context. Jesus had been teaching, been teaching in parables all day. Then he gets into a boat with the disciples, and they're trying to get away for a little rest and relaxation, right? Then this crazy storm, I mean, the mother of all storms comes up on the Sea of Galilee. These disciples, many of whom were experienced fishermen, they're panicking. They're thinking this is the end. They go and they wake up Jesus. Jesus, just with his words, calms down the sea and the wind and the storm. And now the disciples, they're in the boat and they're terrified because who can do that? I mean, who has the power just with his words to calm down everything? So they're trying to figure out just who Jesus is. And now by this time, after Jesus is teaching all day and they're in the boat and this is taking place, now it's approaching nighttime. It's starting to get dark outside. You can almost imagine the moon in the sky and maybe the clouds passing over it. Maybe a little eerie outside, especially considering everything you've just been through. 
and they cross the lake to this coastal, st- coastal town, but it's not some vacation hotspot. It's a Gentile graveyard. Okay, in, in those days, people often buried their dead in caves. And the rich, it would almost be like a mausoleum, and you, you just have a bunch of caves for all the different people. And this is where they're heading to. They're heading to a coastal region of tombs, of, of caves where dead people are buried. So they are rowing toward a graveyard, and as they're going toward this graveyard at nighttime, they're hearing screams, okay? He's yelling and screaming. You could just imagine the screams echoing through the caves and then bouncing off the water, and this is where they're headed. I mean, you can imagine if you're one of the disciples, you say, hey, Jesus, you know, Galilee wasn't so bad. You know, if we want to turn our, our boat around, you know, those crowds, they, they weren't so annoying after all. And Jesus says, no, this is the spot. This is where we're headed. And they, they land there, and the Bible says, as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, says immediately the source of the screams met him. Okay, this demon-possessed man, this dirty, disturbed, demented, naked man with cuts all over his body, hair unkept, beard unkept, I mean, wild-eyed, crazy guy, charges at Jesus, running at Jesus. I mean, can you imagine being one of the disciples? I I just picture Peter, James, and John, like, stumbling all over each other and all the rest of the disciples, let's just get in the boat. Jesus, what are you doing? Get back in the boat. But here it happened. I mean, you talk about a scary mood. I don't know if these guys could have slept for the next week after all this. But this guy, this madman, the madman of the Gerasenes, he probably hadn't slept for a long time. The townspeople, you know, they don't know what to do with him. They've tried everything that they can think of. He was a threat. He was dangerous. So they, they ostracized him to the graveyard to live out in the, in the tombs, in the caves. And you just know, hey, there's the madman of the Gerasenes, and he's living in the caves. You always know, you always hear, you have that reminder. You hear the echoes, the, the screaming, the yelling. I mean, you can imagine. This is not the modern world. There are no noises just to drown out his screams. <laughs> you can imagine children waking up in the night, hearing the screams of the madman and the Gerasenes, and mothers holding them tight. It's okay. It's okay. You can imagine the warning, hey, don't go to that area of the coastal city. You know, don't, don't play in the beach there. That area is off limits. Everybody knows of him. Everybody's terrified of him. They knew his strength. I mean, you talk about strength. Men from the city, they had tried to subdue him the way that you would try to subdue a wild animal. They, they had taken chains and ropes, whatever they could. I mean, the blacksmiths they, they would, in the town, they would hold up their chains that they had forged, forged together, and they would say, surely these chains will hold him. The rope makers of the town, they, they, would, they would bind together the strongest ropes that they could, they could bind, and they would hold them up, and they would say, surely these ropes will hold him. Then on occasion, the strongest men of the town, they would gather parties and they would go down to capture this man who's running around naked with crazy hair and crazy beard, cuts all over his body, and they would capture him 
literally attacking this man. They would hold him down with these chains. They would tie him up with the ropes. But he would just snap those chains like twigs. See, the demons gave him superhuman strength. This man was used to being attacked. It says he was constantly, continuously, night and day, he was screaming. He was cutting himself with stones. His body was full of self-inflicted lacerations. See, the demons had also given him over to self-destruction. He couldn't sleep. Instead, he screamed. He was terrorized. He was cutting himself. Do you remember what happened when the prophet Elijah took on all the prophets of of Baal at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings? Remember what happened? Baal's prophets, they they begin to cut themselves with stones and sharp instruments. Do you remember that? See, this is part of demon worship. This is, what it, this is what's going on. The demons had so infiltrated, inhabited this man, this madman of the Gerasenes, that they were using him as a living sacrifice to the demon world. And so from head to toe, there are gashes, there are open sores. I mean, you talk about a cruel, just miserable existence. I mean, what a ghastly picture this man is living. And now this boat comes to shore. They hear the screams. They're getting louder. They're getting closer. And through the dim, maybe moonlight, they see the source of the screams running from the caves, full bore, straight toward Jesus. Here he comes, the madman of the garrisons, and the demons recognize Jesus. And you might expect that as they run up to him, that they would just jump on him and tackle him and try to tear Jesus apart. But that's not what happens. Do you see that? Something else happens. This madman full of demons falls down prostrate before Jesus. Do you see that? He falls down right before Jesus. And the demons scream out of this man, Jesus, son of the most high God, What have you to do with me? See, this is a title, the title that they use there for Jesus. It's a title that's used time and time again in the Old Testament. It refers to the awesome majesty of God, and the demons recognize right away Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. Even the disciples are trying to wrap their minds around who Jesus is at this moment. I mean, they they just went through all this in the lake, and they're they're still terrified because they haven't yet figured it out. But the demons, they already get it, and they tremble at his presence. And they say, say, I adjure you by God to not torment me. In other words, to put it in modern-day vernacular, what they're saying is, hey, put your hand on this Bible and swear by God that you're not going to hurt me. That's what they're saying. And as they're saying this, notice Jesus has already said to the demons, come out of the man. Jesus is already saying it. Come out of the man, come out of the man, come out of the man. But they don't come out at first. They don't come out at first. Instead, they stay and they argue. They say, don't send us out of this country in Mark's gospel. In Luke's gospel, it's don't send us into the abyss. See, the demons know that there's a judgment coming. That They know that the Son of Man will condemn them one day to the abyss forever. 
and they don't think it's going to be a party. They don't think they're going to be there with all their friends just having a good time and living it up. The demons are terrified of that day. And so they, they say to Jesus, hey, can you just send us into the pigs? Can, can we just inhabit, you know, this man, will do, but those demons will, or those pigs will do just fine. We just need to inhabit something. We don't want to be disembodied. So can we go into the pig? See, for Satan, an animal, a person, there's no real difference. And then Mark tells this story that all the demons enter, and the name Legion, 6,000 or so, enter these 2,000 pigs. And Mark does something very interesting as he tells this story. It's somewhat difficult to pick it up in English, but he uses five verbs here. The first four verbs he uses in the past tense completed sense, okay? And it's trying to indicate that everything is happening fast. And so he uses these four four verbs as the, uh, Jesus says, go, the demons leave, the demons enter the pigs, the demons rush down the cliff, and then Mark changes the verb tense because he doesn't want you to miss this. It's as if he's taking the camera and he's putting it in slow motion. He's saying, check this scene out, don't miss this scene, see what's happening next. And the word that he changes the tense on is the 2,000 pigs drowning. He wants you to see them drowning, almost as if it's happening in slow motion. Mark doesn't want you to miss that. All those pigs are drowning. The herdsmen, they notice, and they run back into the town and, and, and knocking on doors, probably waking people up. And they tell them, hey, all those pigs, all your livelihood, they're all drowned. It's all gone. You've you got to come see what's happening. And they rush out, and this madman of the garrisons they've been terrified of for so long, he's sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, but the townspeople, they don't, they don't really see him. What they really notice is all their pigs have drowned. Just bodies of pigs floating in the sea. The man who they've been terrified of for so long, he's not really so important, but they're pigs. They're important. See, this is what happens when pigs are preferred. They want Jesus to leave. These pigs, they're unclean for the Jews, but this is Gentile territory, and so it's their livelihood. It's okay for them to have them, and they are immediately aware that Jesus has the power over the demonic world. I mean, how can you not be? But perhaps they're also thinking, if he can do that, he has the power over us too. If he's going to cost us financially, maybe he's going to cost us even more. And see, to to the town, the death of the pigs was not worth the life of the man. Now, the townspeople, they weren't demon-possessed, but they were just as deceived. See, deception can come in many colors. Deception comes in many colors, and so they tell Jesus to leave. It's now only the madman who wants the company of Jesus. But we've evolved so much as a society, right? We, we, we wouldn't think the way those townspeople thought, would we? 
I mean, just imagine if this were to happen today and Jesus shows up and he just takes out a whole town's livelihood, all their animals, and they're, they're drowned just like this. Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, Peter would show up. They would file a lawsuit on behalf of the town against Jesus. And they would say, this man right here, he indirectly caused the death of all these pigs, these 2,000 pigs. And hey, listen, we all agree, as stewards of creation, that animals are to be treated well. We all, we all agree with this. This is part of our responsibility as stewards over the world to treat creation well, including animals, that even animals raised to be eaten. They should be treated well. As, you know, death should be as painless, quick as possible, just as it was for these pigs. But Jesus makes the point that one man's life is worth more than 2,000 pigs. See, Jesus makes the point that your life is more valuable than the lives of any number of animals. The satanic, demonic agenda sometimes places no value on human life at all. And contrary to that, they place sometimes even more value, more intrinsic value on the life of an animal. See, this is the world's value system. It hasn't changed. It was the same way back then. We think, oh, we've devolved so much. As a no, it was the same way. They're doing the same thing. The town's doing the same thing. Pigs are preferred to people. You know, it's why it's illegal in our country to crush the egg of an unborn eaglet. But sadly, perfectly acceptable to crush the life of an unborn child. See, this town had the same satanic value system. Deception comes in many colors. The disciples, they've evidently lended this man some clothes because he is clothed now. He hadn't been clothed in a long time. He's sitting now. He can sit down, not just roam around the tombs and the hillside and the mountains anymore. He's able just to sit still in his right mind to be thinking clearly, perhaps talking and laughing again for the first time in a long time. He is under control. The screams have stopped. But never mind all that. The townspeople, they just want their pigs back. But the pigs are gone. The man who hadn't sat down for so long, the man who hadn't been clothed for so long, the man who hadn't been able to think clearly for so long, he's been restored. Jesus, just as he brought peace to the storm, has now brought peace to this man. But notice, that peace comes with a cost. For this man, it cost about 2,000 pigs cost Jesus and his disciples some time of just resting and relaxing after a long day. See, removing evil is always costly. Make no mistake about it, removing evil is always costly. If you have evil habits in your life, it will be costly to get rid of them. It will cost, maybe it'll cost some of the people you hang out with, some friends, maybe it'll cost some of your time. Maybe it's going to cost you getting rid of some of your electronic devices or the internet. It may cost you your pride. It will come at a cost. 
See, for God to defeat sin, to defeat evil, to defeat death, it came at the ultimate cost of his son. But notice, even from this passage, that God says your life is not only worth the life of 2,000 pigs, your life is also worth the price of his son. So whatever evil you're struggling with, whatever it is, getting rid of it will come at a cost. It already has. It's come at the cost of Jesus. But the cost is always worth it. The cost is always worth it. For the madman of the garrisons, his superhuman strength was gone now, right? He's not going to be snapping chains like twigs anymore. But even greater chains had been snapped for this man. The spiritual chains of condemnation had been snapped for him, but not for the town. Jesus made the town very uncomfortable because he had invaded their possessions. He had invaded their investments. He had invaded their religion, and he had exposed their chains, but the town preferred their chains. The, the, the town preferred everything that was going on, and so they begged Jesus to leave. It's as if they're saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, we'd rather have the swine than the Savior. We'd rather have sausage on our plates than the Son of God in our city. We'd rather hear the grunts of hogs than to see the goodness of God in the garrisons. And so they say, leave, get out. We don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. You've got to go. In this ironic picture, the madman of the garrisons is freed, but the town was still enslaved. If you're not living the life of a chair for disciple maker, then you need to know that Jesus has landed on your coast today through the person of the Holy Spirit, and he is inviting you to live the, Christ, the, the life that Christ died for you to live, the, the, the life that God has made you for, to go out and make disciples, not just converts, but to go out and make disciples who they themselves are able to make disciples. This is the life of the Christian. The people in the garrison say, <laughs> Give me my chains. I just want to do life the way I've always done it. Don't come here upsetting everything, Jesus. Just go. Let me live life the way I want to. Jesus is coming here today to say the same thing. He's a disruptor. So I want to disrupt this thinking that you can just live life the way the world tells you. I've made you for more than this. Jesus tells the man... <laughs> It's interesting, the, 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 the town wants Jesus to leave, and the man says, Jesus, please, let me go with you. He's the one begging to still be with Jesus, and Jesus tells the man, go home. Right there on the beach, Jesus has this little commissioning service where he commissions the madman of the garrisons as a chair for disciple-maker as a missionary, as an evangelist, and he tells them, hey, and your first mission field is back home. Go back home. Tell your friends, tell your family. The man probably hadn't been home in who knows how long, but Jesus is leaving him as this lasting, lingering demonstration of grace. Go back home and tell. See, Jesus can do his best even after Satan has done his worst. And he's telling the madman, go back. See, madmen can be missionaries. 
so can you. Madmen can be missionaries, so can you. You go back to the beginning of the story, just think with me for a moment. If you go back to the beginning of this story, can you imagine if Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and they're in the boat, and Jesus says, hey, listen, I want to pull ashore here at this cemetery on the hill because I have someone that I want to commission as a missionary to that region. And so then they're, they're pulling in, as they're pulling in, all of a sudden, this naked man who's covered in cuts and is screaming like crazy starts running down right toward the boat, and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, here comes my missionary right now. The madman of the Gerasenes had come to faith and was commissioned to be this chair for disciple-maker, missionary evangelist, first at his home and then to the whole Decapolis, the ten cities of the region. And we would, if we look at that, we'd say, no way. Jesus wouldn't choose him, would he? But he But he did. A man who had been the temple of demonic power was now the temple of the living God. His voice that had once terrorized the town was now the voice that preached the good news of grace and truth and freedom, the good news of the gospel. And just as Jesus commissioned this madman of the Gerasenes to be a chair for disciple maker, so also he commissions you. And maybe you look back over the course of your life and you might think the same thing. No, no. If God were to kind of sit next to his disciples and point out and say, oh, right there, I'm choosing him. I'm choosing her to go and to be my disciple maker in Portsmouth and Chesapeake and the whole Hampton Roads area. That's who I've got my eye on. You might look at yourself and say, no way. God, I, I think your finger needs to go over here a little bit. You can't possibly be talking about me. And just as Jesus might have said to those disciples, no, 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 that crazy guy, yeah, he's the one. He's pointing at you. Say, no, this is what I've saved you for. This is what I've saved you for. This is, this is the life. See, the church community, we can get confused when it comes to demons. And that's bad. Because right thinking always produces right living. But even more tragic, sometimes the church community can confuse the purpose of our salvation. And we can forget that just as God saved the madman of the garrisons to then be a chair for a disciple maker, to go be this missionary evangelist, so too he has saved us to be disciple makers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We're reminded again this morning of just your goodness to us and how undeserved it is. And God, just as you were able to bring peace to this man who had no peace for so long, so too you've brought peace to our lives so that we could be peacemakers where we live. And God, we recognize that only true peace comes from you. God, forgive us for when we forget the purpose of our salvation. Forgive us for when we forget that you've called us to send us out as your ambassadors to go and to share Jesus and to impact people. 
Forgive us for when we think that, hey, we're, this is home. When you have something so much better in mind for us. God, uh, this morning we also think of our children who are headed out to camp this week. And God, we, we pray that it will be a, a great week where they're built up and they're equipped, even from a young age, to, um, to share Jesus and impact people. Help us to do it well this week. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.